You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's August 13th. The incarceration rate in the United States fell to a historic low prior to the pandemic. Between 2008 and 2018, it was down 21%. And it's fallen even faster since COVID-19 hit, as prisons have tried to halt virus transmission among inmates. The same trend has played out in the nation's juvenile detention centers, too, with the same result. Empty beds in expensive correctional facilities. But spending on correctional facilities has held steady. And according to RAND experts, it makes little sense to keep funding incarceration at the same level when incarceration is needed less and less. In fact, they say there's an opportunity to reclaim and redirect billions of dollars away from prisons, jails, and juvenile detention centers and toward education, job training, transportation, and other community services. This could be a more politically viable path forward for those who support criminal justice reform and investing in vulnerable communities, the researchers say. In other words, defunding prisons might make more sense than defunding the police. Cybercriminals have been escalating their attacks for years. We've seen high-profile hacks of police stations, city governments, and hospital systems. And the ransomware hack of Colonial Pipeline, operator of one of the largest gas pipelines in the country, was one of many recent cyber attacks that tiptoe closer to an act of war. That's according to RAND experts. To rein in these attacks, they recommend a national deterrence strategy that will, quote, upend the risk-reward ratio for hackers and for the countries that harbor or support them. Such a strategy could consist of three main tactics. First, making networks harder to breach. Many corporations and other private sector organizations have consistently failed to harden their cyber defenses. But this could change if companies are held legally liable, beyond government fines, for damage caused by their lax security. Second, retaliation is central to any deterrence strategy. The U.S. needs to send clear signals that it will retaliate proportionally, especially if state-sponsored hackers attempt to take down a power grid or disrupt the operation of a dam, for example. Third, when hackers do succeed, it's important to make it harder for them to profit. Currently, there's no consensus on whether it makes sense to ban ransomware payments outright. But there are other steps that law enforcement could take to try to seize ransom money once it's been paid, or to make it harder to use cryptocurrencies to launder those ransoms. The researchers say that, if left unabated, the scourge of hacking for ransom will continue to compromise consumers' private data, and become even more costly and disruptive to national security and the economy. This is precisely why the U.S. cannot rely on a passive, defensive strategy when it comes to ransomware. Some in U.S. policymaking circles believe that America's military activities have become overly predictable, allowing potential adversaries to anticipate where, when, and how U.S. forces will operate. 
In this same vein, the 2018 U.S. National Defense Strategy suggests that the U.S. might enhance its deterrence by becoming more operationally unpredictable. That is, increasing adversaries' uncertainty about how the U.S. would fight in a conflict. A new RAND report considers this approach, assessing whether becoming less predictable could effectively deter Russian or Chinese attacks against U.S. allies. The main takeaway is that, while it's possible that increased unpredictability could help deter such attacks, it would likely be costly. And there are potential negative side effects. For example, this shift could decrease U.S. military readiness or increase China's and Russia's threat perceptions. The authors find that the most promising approach for increasing unpredictability would be to up the range of U.S. capabilities and demonstrate that these capabilities give the U.S. multiple options for achieving its key objectives. Although COVID-19 vaccination rates have increased over time, black Americans are still being vaccinated at lower rates than other racial or ethnic groups. According to CDC data from June, less than 20% of black Americans are fully vaccinated. That's compared with 42% of the overall U.S. population. What might be contributing to these inequities? Recent RAND research revealed two key insights into the issue. First, vaccine confidence has improved among black Americans, but mistrust continues to hold down vaccination rates. This mistrust stems directly from historical and ongoing discrimination and racism experienced by black communities. It includes distrust that healthcare and healthcare providers are equitable, distrust that the government is providing truthful information, and distrust that the vaccine itself is safe and effective. The second key finding is that the national discussion about vaccine confidence has hidden real problems with vaccine access. Specific access challenges include the distance one must travel to a vaccine site, the lack of transportation to available vaccination sites, and work and childcare-related barriers, particularly in the case of a vaccine that requires two doses or when any side effects have to be managed. The authors recommend some potential solutions to address both vaccine confidence and vaccine access. For instance, when providing information about the vaccine, it's important to first acknowledge mistrust as an understandable and justified response to systemic racism. It's also important to develop clear, transparent messaging that is tailored to specific subcommunities within the broader black community. And to improve access, underserved communities need more medical and non-medical vaccination sites. The process of getting the shots could also be simplified and streamlined. For example, by providing transportation, not requiring appointments, and meeting people where they live and work. Taking steps like these will not only improve the healthcare system's response to the current public health crisis, but also to future crises. Ever since the discovery that current and former U.S. military personnel played a significant role in the January 6th insurrection, the Pentagon has prioritized efforts to counter extremism in the armed forces. The DOD is educating forces on extremism and reinforcing the oath of service, 
It's also enacted tougher screening protocols to catch extremists before they can enlist. Additionally, there is discussion of empowering commanders to identify extremist members and report them to the chain of command, which could ultimately lead to a discharge from service. Rand experts say that such an approach may be necessary, but the fear of discharge could drive extremists underground. And it might also sidestep an audience that our research has shown to be critical to reversing the tide of extremism, family members and friends. A recent Rand study in which researchers conducted interviews with former extremists and their loved ones revealed that many people who end up leaving extremist organizations do so not because of threats from employers or law enforcement, but with the help of family members and friends, including members of groups they once hated. This is why the Pentagon may want to consider an approach that goes beyond just hunting down extremists within the ranks. Reaching out directly to family members of extremist service members and providing channels that are outside the chain of command to help them could be key to helping extremists walk away from hate and violence before it's too late. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We'll see you next week.